There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Friends, Pastor Mike with you again here on WCN-TV. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, You've got a few seconds. Text your friends. Tell them to jump on here for this conversation with author and pastor George Shamblin. You won't be disappointed. Um, We're going to talk about a subject. Really, it's it's part and parcel, one of the many nuggets of theology uh, that's very important for, for Christians to understand. Um, and to be able to explain, describe, define, and defend. Um, American church membership and attendance continues to decline according to just about any survey that you happen to look at. The decline is not only related to, to church members, former church members just choosing not to show up, but it's also due to a trend, and, and I've spoken about this, several times in the last decade or so, a trend where folks are starting to identify as nuns answering the question of their religious affiliation or background, none. Now, that should trouble all of us as followers, disciples, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. How How has America specifically gotten to a place where more and more people and I know there was a there was a percentage given. Here it is. Um, in the past three years, that percentage of people identifying as having no religious affiliation is up to twenty one percent. Now, folks, math wasn't my strong suit, but that's about a quarter of Americans responding to these surveys are saying they have no background. Well, according to Pastor author and my friend George Shamblin. The trends are not surprising. In his new book, Inerrancy, which is going to be the subject of our conversation today, and and I love the subtitle, Inerrancy. You better learn this word. <laughs> that is so true. You better learn this word. But, but George uses the decline of mainline churches as an example of what happens when churches or denominations compromise on the accuracy and the authoritative nature of the Bible. And I picked up a new phrase, George. I picked up a new phrase from your book, and I'm going to use it because I thought it was a a very brilliant way to capture uh, the phenomena, and it's cafeteria Christianity. Cafeteria Christianity. Boy, is that the truth. My guest, uh, is George Samlin, as you already know, author of this new book, Inerrancy, left a very successful career in pharmaceutical sales to enroll in Reformed Theological Seminary. Since 2012, he has served as pastor with the Center for Executive Leadership. Um, and if you, uh, well, if you like this conversation, I'm going to tell you what, go back in the archives and look for the previous conversation that George and I had about his other book, The Relay, Passing Along Your Faith in the Race to Save Christianity from Extinction. Wonderful book as well. George, thank you so much for joining me again here on WCN-TV. 
Dr. Mike, it is really a privilege. And and yeah, the anytime you do a title or a subtitle, you think, did I make the right decision? Should I put something else? But I'm glad that you felt like at least the subtitle was fitting. And thank you so much for having me on. Oh, very, very blessed to talk to you again, George. We had a great time uh, the last time that that you were on. So, so inerrancy. Um, I've been at this a long time as you have, um, pastoring now for over 25 years, been a believer in the Lord Jesus for 40. And, and, uh, although God's calling is different for all sorts of believers, he has roles for all of us to fulfill within the body. Um, and then in the culture that we find ourselves in inerrancy is one of those topics that in my past experience, many believers, I don't want to say most, but, but many, far too many, let me say it that way. Far too many believers uh, are confused about exactly what it means. So as we get started in this conversation, George, could you explain inerrancy, the, the doctrine of inerrancy, what it means and um, why this really is an issue that the church must plant its flag in the ground and stand on. I love the expression plant our flag. My brother-in-law had a guy going in the military and he's a strong Christian. He said, what's the first thing I should do? And he said, as soon as you get there, plant your flag for Jesus Christ. So people know who you are and where you stand. Amen. So thank you for sharing that. As far as inerrancy is concerned, it, it really means in a simple sense that the word of God is trustworthy, it's reliable, and it means it's all true. Some people say, well, a lot of the Bible is true. Some is not true. The question I love to ask people in that situation is, how do you know which is which? We're just not afforded that opportunity. It means every single word was God breathed. That's what the scriptures even tell us. All scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for four things, teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. It's sufficient for all of life and faith. That's really what it boils down to. Either we can trust the scriptures or we can't. We can't be somewhere in the middle. That's that's exactly right. And um, so when it comes to, to inerrancy, uh, uh, a word that's closely associated with that infallibility, um, some people say, well, how, how is it possible? There's errors all through the, the scriptures. Everybody knows that. Of course, when people make that kind of a statement, I say, well, who's everybody exactly? Who, who are you referring to? Everybody. Who's everybody? Um, but we're talking about the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures that we have are based on the inerrant word of God. And that applies. We'll just jump right here, George so that people understand this applies to the original manuscripts, That's right. the doctrine of inerrancy. Now, yeah. it applies to the original manuscripts, and some people say, well, we don't have those today. Sure. Well, we have manuscript evidence that gets us 99.9% mm -hmm. of the way there. That's right. And the things that there that we do have conversations about are of no significant doctrinal substance. Can I say it that way, George? Is that fair to say that? It absolutely is. For instance, if we have uh, one manuscript that's very ancient and old, we call that extant, which means in hand. But it may say the Lord Jesus, and another, another manuscript says the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, some people say, see, those are contradictory. One says this, one says that. How can they both be right in the same way and in the same sense? Well, clearly there had to be an original and you just absolutely pinned it. The questions of doctrine are never called into to view or significant points of theology between one manuscript and another. It's just little variances, maybe 70,000. Uh, versus 72. I'm sorry, 70 versus 72 were sent. Well, mm -hmm. it was one or the other, and the original writings had 70 or 72, but does that change the fact that Jesus 
sent these individuals out to preach the gospel? And the answer is no. So in the original writings, of course, we believe by faith that they are 100% right and accurate, reliable, true, trustworthy. But over time, could there be a slight difference in some of the wording? Yes, but not doctrinally. It, no doctrine. Can, can I add one more thing, please? Absolutely. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we can't take an example where one version says the Lord and the other version says the Lord Jesus and say, well, let's look at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. That can't be reliable. Of course it is. Those are never the variances. Those doctrinal positions that we can rely on, those aren't in question. So a lot of times people use that as a red herring when the issue is we either trust or we don't. Yes. Yeah, that's that's absolutely absolutely right, George. The um and if you study this, folks, and I would encourage you to do that so that you have answers. Uh cause sooner or later somebody's gonna ask you that. Uh, they find out that you're a believer, they're gonna ask you about your view of the scriptures. And and if you think about that question coming at some point in the future, I think you'd be uh, very comfortable if you'd look at this issue and be able to offer a, a response to that person. Um, now, you talked about cafeteria Christianity, and I really like that phrase, George, and I, and I actually used um, that concept in a, in a post. Uh, it was either, what is today, Tuesday? It was either Sunday or Monday. I used it in a post in, in, within the context of, of biblical relativism. Um, now that even that phrase may be um, confusing to some. Well, what in the world is biblical relativism? Well, uh, going back, let's let's lay a little groundwork um, for folks, George. And you did that in in your book. And again, friends, I'm talking with author and pastor George Shamblin. The book is Inerrancy. You better learn this word. <laughs> Boy, the time is now for that challenge. You better learn this word, friends. Um, but this is this has taken place over time, uh, a lot of time actually, century or more. Some would go back even further than that, George. But a century or more, when people started calling into question um, the Word of God and started to uh, cherry pick. There's an idiom that people are probably familiar with: cherry pick. Well, the Word of God doesn't afford us that privilege or that right. Uh, our responsibility is is to to stand with what the Word of God says. So, so you coin. I've never heard it any place else, George. So, I love the phrase "cafeteria Christianity." It's a good way to talk about um, biblical relativism. So, so let's jump into that subject. What do you mean by biblical relativism or cafeteria Christianity? Sure, you know. You and I could go through portions of Scripture that make us uncomfortable. There are plenty of passages yep. where we can almost cringe and say, oh, I have a hard time understanding that. Or, Lord, that maybe a verse has a really sharp edge to it. And, and we think, oh, that, that's not the easiest uh, verse to, to get my hands around. Well, I can't go through Scripture and say, let me pull out the little ones I like and the softer tones and, and kind of hang on to that and cut everything else out. Thomas Jefferson, you, you at least have to give him credit for being consistent. He copied and pasted. He cut all of the miraculous out of the New Testament, said, I don't believe any of it. I, I do appreciate the fact that he was at least honest. We have pastors today and we have pulpits today that really might as well go ahead and cut the Bible up because they're those tough portions of Christianity that they say, uh, I don't like this. I'm going to leave it on the shelf and I'm going to pull out some other things that fit my palate and put together a message that, that's just wrong. It's absolutely wrong. For instance, when Jesus said that all who are weary and heavy laden, he said, come to me. He didn't say come to part of me or you will find partial rest. No, when we go to Jesus, we go to all of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Word. Who is the Word? The Word is Christ. 
you can't separate that out and say, well, I believe in 99% of Jesus or 98%. Well, that's what people are doing with scripture. It's either 100% or don't believe it. But please don't play this game of part is true, part is non-true. That just muddies the water for everybody. Yeah, it sure does. And you you illustrated that. And I, I forget which chapter it was in, um, but you illustrated that with a... Uh, an example of a of a church that had been um, uh, had been around for a long, long time, hundred years or more, and they came to a place where they where they received a new pastor, um, and they found out in a hurry that they didn't really vet him and ask him those tough questions that that are important. They just assumed that well, he'll be just like our last pastor. Um, and it goes, we should know now, we being the body of Christ, that that in far too many cases, the um, pastoral candidates that our seminaries are, are, are graduating don't hold the same views. Not, it's not for all seminaries. Some seminaries are, are holding true, um, but they're not holding on to the cardinal doctrines of the faith. Inerrancy is one of them. And you you gave an illustration, and again, I forget which chapter. The pastor said to the congregation as, as he was about to read a, a devotional section and invited them, and he said, now I want you to listen for the word of God. Right. Now, <laughs> some people read right over that and say, well, what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is wrong with that, George? <laughs> There's a done wrong. Carl Bart just uh, troubles me to no end. He was a theologian where some theologians, Schleiermacher and some others in Germany, went so far to the left. They they pretty much just tried to ravage the New Testament, and they did to pieces or tried to. Karl Barth kind of came back to the middle, and that's that's kind of the worst place to be. You and I, everybody on here knows Jesus said hot, cold, lukewarm. He would spit those individuals out of his mouth. Well, with with the Carl Bart, he said the Bible is not the word of God. It contains the word. Mm-hmm. And you think, wait a minute, wait, wait, say that again. And he said the Bible <laughs> is not the word. It contains the word. So what does that look like? Here's how that looked. When a pastor stands up in the pulpit and says, I'm going to read this passage of scripture. I want you to listen for the word of God, not listen to, listen for. In other words, some of it's true, some of it's not true. If I can flesh this out in in the form of a story, when I was at Auburn University in college, I'd never heard the gospel. My brother-in-law started talking about the truth as it is in Jesus. I didn't like it. I didn't like him. It made me uncomfortable. But after all these Bible verses he quoted, I said, I'm just going to go ask my minister. So I said, you know, pastor minister, is the Bible true? Yes or no? And Mike, I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, that's your first warning when somebody says, well, (laughs) well, parts are true. Parts are untrue. I knew nothing about philosophy. I didn't know anything about theology, but I had enough sense to know, no, wait a minute. You you can't say that. I I don't know what, what the answer is, and I'm trying to find it, but And then even in my simple thinking, I said, well, if you don't mind me asking, how do you know which parts are correct and which aren't? And do you know all the way back in 1992, he could not answer that. Nobody can answer that question today. I've never heard a single argument where somebody can answer that question. How do you know which is which? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. And of course, with uh, postmodernists and post-postmodernism, that's, that really creates a, a brain fog, if you ask me. How do, how do we get to post-postmodern? But anyway, that's for another conversation. Um, some would say, well, it's up to you. It's up to you as an individual to pick and choose. So that, that goes right back to the concept of cafeteria Christianity or biblical relativism, what works for you. Um, and really, that is... 
that is a rotten bowl of porridge if there ever was one. And anybody that would consume that or sit under the teaching of a pastor or ministry leader that believes that and instructs you in that same view of the scriptures, um, you are headed for spiritual devastation. And if you've joined us today for this conversation, I would encourage you in the strongest possible terms that I can that I can speak, get out of that place immediately. Put your shoes on, tie them up tight, and run. But, and, you know, you said earlier, you started out by talking about church membership down, and then you also said, I think, 21% or so that are claiming to be nuns, mm-hmm. no faith tradition, and don't adhere to anything. Well, my my big question for parents out there is, your children's disinterest in church, could it be a learned behavior? Are you going to a church that doesn't stand for anything and the kids are picking up on the fact, why are we even here? To hear good Mm -hmm. stories and analogies and, and illustrations that aren't based on the living, breathing word of God. I think even children are starting to realize, what's the point? So I think parents have to really ask, is my parent, is is my children's disinterest in the faith a learned behavior? Yes, absolutely. And so um, as a pastor, I've said this, I lost count of the number of times I'm sure you have to, George. Um, children will observe and they will mimic what they see, especially when it comes to what we claim are very important things in our lives. If we claim that Jesus Christ is important in our lives, then what that that child's going to expect to see in the home is that behavior modeled. They're going to expect to see family prayer. They're going to expect to see Bible study. They're going to expect to see their parents praying together, reading the Bible together. They're going to expect to see certain behaviors throughout the week and not just on Sunday morning when everybody puts on their smile and dresses up and heads off in the, in the car to church, that's how children receive that impression that, well, this isn't really important. This is a one hour a week thing that we go do as a family. And I don't really think it's doing a thing. So it is a learned behavior, George. I agree a hundred percent. So during the, the past couple of decades now i you've observed it as well um the seeker sensitive movement that that swept through the church back in the 70s um 80s for sure it was on fire in the 90s and now it's kind of now it's still going in some places but but some of the the figureheads of the seeker sensitive movement have in in the past 10 years or so they've they've recanted of that whole catastrophe and, 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 and really agreed with some of us who were saying at the time, that's the wrong approach, folks. That is absolutely the wrong approach. You're on the wrong track and this is what it's going to result in. So how would you describe um, the, is there, let me answer, let me ask it this way, George, is there still fallout or an impact from those church models even though it was 20 years ago, is, is there still a negative impact or, or has anything positive come out of that in your opinion? Great question. I actually think something positive has come out in this respect. I like to differentiate between seeker driven on mm. the one hand and seeker sensitive on the other. Seeker driven, and, and you're very familiar with this. You've seen this firsthand, but seeker driven basically says, let the seeker drive the worship service. Yes. Well, that doesn't really make sense at the outset because the only people actually worshiping in spirit and in truth are believers. So we yes. really shouldn't allow a non-believer to drive the worship service. I, I think that's mm-hmm. silly. Yes. yes. On the other hand, I think the good thing that has come out of that movement, I think there is a silver lining that people and churches have to ask the question, are we doing anything that is a roadblock, a hurdle, or a hindrance to people receiving the truth as it is in Jesus? For instance, language is important. When I pastored a church in Pensacola, I still used the big words. 
we still would have the Apostles' Creed. We didn't throw those out of the worship service. However, I would take time to explain yes. the big words. I would explain, here's why we do responsive reading. And I may give an example, and um, I can't remember the psalm. I want to say um, uh, Psalm, uh, I can't remember my brother, but where the, the angels are kind of crying out one to another back and forth. Well, when we read scripture to recite back and forth, it can be the same thing with the Apostles' Creed. I just explained that early in our faith, 1,700 years ago, Christians got together and said, how can we state what it is that we believe? And by the way, there's this word in the Apostles' Creed called Catholic. That word is probably better translated as universal. So when we say Catholic, we're not talking about uh, Roman Catholic or uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. or pro- We're talking about all believers throughout the world. Yes. So I think seeker sensitive is very wise. I think it's biblical, but we have to stop there and not go over into the, the driving aspect. Yes. Yes. Amen. That's a, that's a wonderful way to explain that. It just, it reminded I'm teaching through uh, Philippians on Wednesday nights now, and I'm in chapter three um, tomorrow. And it just yep. reminded me this place where Paul is having this conversation with the Philippians and, and he, he, he was rather pointed and some would say sharp about his opponents and those who were troubling uh, the Philippians. And he, he tags them with three epitaphs that, well, some Christians would say, Ooh, that's way too harsh, but he calls them. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers and beware of the false circumcision. Now, the reason I bring that up is because he says then the next verse, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God. So to your point, George, being seeker driven cuts off or eliminates worshiping by the spirit because let's face it, a lot of folks that show up in those kinds of services they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And so therefore, as Paul wrote to the Romans, you have not the spirit of Christ. You are not Christ's. And why would we turn over a significant portion of the service actually exalting and worshiping our Savior to those who do not even know him? That's that's troubling, troubling it, to me. It is. And can you refresh my memory when Paul says that he became all things that he might win some is that also in philippians or is that he goes he goes through his uh spiritual resume as we mm-hmm. like to call it and um i don't see it there in in uh chapter 3 it may be in his his letter to the galatians but i'm going to check that out george cuz now you piqued my curiosity <laughs> Or I'll just keep talking for a minute and you look it up and then we'll have the answer for people. (laughs) So, so I've heard people say this today too. If Jesus were to show up in some of our churches today, um, they'd escort him out the door. He would not be welcomed there. And, and some people are taken aback by that kind of a statement. Um, But Jesus was pretty, Pretty to the point, and um, in a lot of instances, he was the most compassionate man. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the scriptures bear that out, but but he could also be very blunt in in what he had to say, and um, and so in in today's church growth models, uh, I think Jesus would be excluded from that. What, what do you think? I do. The the scriptures. Are, are meant to be preached and taught in their entirety. That means the tough passages, yes. the ones that, that may offend. You know, Scripture can certainly offend, and, and that's not Scripture's problem. It's our problem. But, yeah, we you know, the Scriptures in their entirety, they, I love where the psalmist said, oh, how I love thy law. He loved God's law, and he didn't say, I love oh so much of it, or the the majority of it, or the vast majority. He said, no, in its entirety. 
Oh, how I love thy law. Oh, my man, that, that, that just gets me so fired up, that verse. Amen. Amen, brother. So thank you, Harry. Harry uh, dropped it in the chat. First Corinthians 9, 22, all things to all people. So thank you. Thank you for that, Harry. Um, yeah. So I love that you did some, some, uh, some historical overview, too, um, talking about where some of the denominations uh, were at. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and where they are at today, um, and the reason for that. And uh, you mentioned, and and listen, folks, I, I'm not just calling out these. This is across the board, a lot of different, we could, we could list, well, we could even list my, my, uh, my own flavor, uh, Calvary Chapels. Um, but the Presbyterian, the PCU, especially, um, the United Methodist denomination, those are, those seem to be at the forefront of, of declining, drastically declining, um, membership. And the reason for that is, as your book points out, and again, folks, I am, I am speaking with author and pastor and friend, George Shamblin. The book is inerrancy. You better learn this word. Well, I just love that subtitle. You got to, uh, you have to understand why this is happening. Uh, maybe you, those who have joined us today, you see that in your own church. Something's going on. But what George suggests is that the reason for the decline is that these are the denominations, the the body, the local body. These are the 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 organizations that are making concessions concerning. The word of God and 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 well, explain what you mean by concessions, and then I think those who've joined us will understand what you mean george it it it's just there's a a national body uh that began making concessions thirty forty fifty years ago. I'll go ahead and say the boy scouts that they, they started making concessions, and I think the scouts were awesome i, I felt, you know, so highly about the early years, 40, 50 years ago, they started making some concessions and anybody at the time who understood church history or understood the history of the world, if you make this one concession on principle, the second concession is already knocking at the door. By the time you make the second concession, the third one is knocking. And before you know it, you've conceded so much ground that your original purpose for existence was lost in the process. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's not even the Boy Scouts and you can't have the Girl Scouts. I think it's just gone to the Scouts. They've had to face, I want to say maybe, maybe it's not billions, but hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits. That didn't happen overnight. It happened when the flag wasn't staked firmly it yep. kind of started getting loose. And before you know it, the original charter is, has been trampled on. Churches mm-hmm. are doing the same thing. And it, it, you just want to say, what are you thinking? Stand on principle, stand firm. I mean, if a church is going down, well, stand firm on who you are, who you believe, and who you trust. Do not compromise. Yes, absolutely so. So, and folks, when we're talking about compromising or making concessions, we're talking about in relation to or in the context of the scriptures. What does the word, what does the Bible say? And if it says this, then we have to stand on that. We must stand on that. If we start making concessions or backing away, trying to to soften the impact for a new cultural sensitivity, we're headed down the wrong road. And, and that is going to come back as the saying says to bite us. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to cause trouble. We don't need to defend God's word folks. And I mean this in the context of it says what it says. And if we don't understand what it says, then we should study to show ourselves approved till we do understand what that says at, at least well enough to be able to explain it to someone who has questions. George, I'm going to 
go off script a little bit here. Um, you didn't really talk about it in, in your book, but I wonder how much of the current Malay we find ourselves in is because pastors, and, and I'm not beating up pastors. You are one. I'm one. I, I love pastors. But how much of our current difficulty is because pastors have stepped back away from teaching people what the scriptures actually say, having real teeth in their discipleship programs, taking people through more than just a general overview of each book of the Bible, but actually digging in and, and, and teaching that in their Sunday sermons, teaching that on their, on their midweek services. How much of the difficulty is because pastors have, have kind of stepped back from that thinking that it really doesn't matter if I do that. Great. I, um, I would, look at that and say we've got the pulpit and the pew and I think the the fault is on both sides I think people in the pews who've not had someone willing to a minister willing to preach truth uh, really should have said something you know to a pastor gently uh, encouraged a minister to say I, I think you've kind of skirted around some issues that the body needs to be aware of and, and need to to hear and for you to unpack that. On the other hand, I think some pastors trying to uh, draw people in don't want to preach messages that repel. And I, I get that. I understand there's some concepts that are hard for me to put out there in a sermon or a men's group or couples group. But if we go back to the source of our faith, the founder of our faith, and we look at the, the very center and the heartbeat of his message, we could even say the Sermon on the Mount. There's some very hard words in the Sermon on the Mount, and yet it's the most well-known sermon of all time. So we need to model ourselves after Christ. I mean, on the one hand, we get the, the gentle side of Jesus' teaching. He talks about, oh, you know, the, the lilies of the field. Do not be about anxious about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And how the Lord, uh, you know, has arrayed the lilies even better than Solomon and all of his glory, but then he'll turn right around and say, don't give what is holy to dogs. Well, that's not the most comfortable teaching, but we, we can't just have the flowers and we can't just have throw your pearls before swine. We, we have to have, um, we, we have to have a, a coming together. And, and I think pastors and pews have to realize it's both and not either. or. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good observation, George. And, might also add that perhaps what what needs to happen is to have a have a shift or a change in our perspective um, instead of thinking well that's too difficult or that's too hard or people won't sit for that or they're not really interested in that if you're a bible teacher a pastor ministry leader it's it's your calling to expound upon the scriptures and you are to do that through all of the scriptures, not trying to avoid something because it's a it's a hot topic issue. And I might also add, I think people are starving today for the truth. There are actually people that want to know. And if we refuse to do that, thinking, well, what's the point? They don't really, they'll be put. No, just trust God, depend on him and teach the truth, not, not harshly, but genuinely in all of its depth and all of its beauty and in all of its frankness. I think people want that, George. What do you think? You know, as you're, you're saying that, I pulled up real quick a, a text from my son. He's a senior at Auburn University. It's a SEC school. It's a state institution. And you, you just said that, you know, people like to hear truth and, and how you stated that. He said, dad, he said, um, he said, I can't wait to tell you about a pledge Bible study. He's the chaplain. But he said, the Lord is taking over the campus. Verses are being chalked in all over campus. Every big group chat. This is public university. I'm getting chill bumps with most of the campus. Their social media is filled with comments and verses of in telling people to repent and turn to God. Oh, I mean, wow. it's like, wow. Not, hey, 
be a better person, go to church. He said, repent in here. And it's like, whoa. That's what young people want. Doesn't that get you fired up? It 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 really does, George, because listen, what 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 they receive when they hear that, they already know intuitive, they already know it. They 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 just need to, and that is there's something wrong with with my life and the way that I'm living, and I don't want it to be this way anymore. And mm-hmm. and I think it can be different through Christ. That's what they're hearing. Don't shy away from telling people, hey. Turn your life over to Jesus. Do it today. That's beautiful, George. And and aren't you and I and everybody on here so pleased that somebody loved us enough? Amen. At some point in our life to say, you know what? You're not going to be able to do it on your own because you're a sinner and you fall short. Even though we may have been offended, if we're in the kingdom as a result, and praise God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. One of the things that people might be thinking, they've listened to us so far, George, and, and they might be thinking, well, what's what's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me that I've got doubts or concerns about the, you know, the authority of scripture. How can we help those people that that have those doubts? And 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 folks, listen, it's quite natural to wonder to have concerns because you're hearing all kinds of stuff from over here. You're hearing all kinds of stuff from over here and you're trying to figure out, well, what's the truth of it? So George, to those that may have some doubts or concerns about faith or the authority of scripture, what do we say to them? Well, Dr. Mike, you can uh, help me with this, but I can't remember a single, single character in scripture who didn't have some significant flaws. First of all, Second of all, Jesus is so patient with us when we want to understand. Yes. There's a big difference between, Lord, I believe, please help my unbelief. Yes. Or, Lord, I'm having a hard time. There's a big difference between that and I refuse to believe. Even with Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, but he's actually the first one willing to die for Jesus, anecdotally. But Downing Thomas said, I refuse to believe, and Jesus was patient with him. I think it's perfectly fine, and I think it's very appropriate to say, Lord, I'm I'm trying to get my hands. Can you help me here? Lord, meet me. Let me draw nearer to you through this passage, but it's very difficult. He knows the prayer before we pray it. He knows our heart uh, before we know it, And, and I think there's a big difference between Lord, please work with me. Please, please meet me in this versus God, you get in the dock and you explain yourself to me. Otherwise, I refuse to believe. Yes. There's a big difference. Yeah, big, big difference. And in fact, that um, I recall that passage of scripture, and I think it's in in the gospel of John where um, Jesus addressed the Pharisees. He said, and this is a paraphrase. He said, guys, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you don't believe because you don't want to believe. That's mm-hmm. he, he just told him point blank. Get over yourselves. If you had genuine concerns, God's going to answer those every time. That's right. Mm-hmm. Those kind of questions you were you were relating, George. So in, in chapter nine, I wanted to to cover this too. Chapter nine, um, you ask. Uh, Christians to do five things, and I'm gonna I'm gonna state those, and then you can you can comment on on each of those um, to do these five things. Uh, so the first thing that you ask, and and this is this is to stand stand firm, friends. Ask the question. Ask and continue asking the question. Do you believe in inerrancy? The answers by the respondent's own admission will determine in which camp he or she falls and by what ground rules they are playing. So why do you ask them to be right up front and ask the question? I love homework. I I love it. If I am going to a counselor and they say, George, I want you to commit to doing these five things. I think that's very helpful and effective. So with the book, the very first thing I do, I think in the first paragraph is say, ask your pastor, do you believe in inerrancy? 
we, we have to keep pastors honest. And I said, if the pastor begins, like my minister in college, by saying, well, or it depends, or what do you mean? Well, hold on. That's like saying to your pastor, are you a Christian? Yeah. Not a whole lot of unpacking That's necessary. Right. Yes or no. And so I'm, I, I want people to ask the question of others, but in particular the pastor, because any pastor knows the word. Other people, yeah, they're going to have a harder time to help me understand inerrancy. That's fine. The pastor knows what the word means, and they know how they answer has implications. So if, if people read the book and only got one thing out of the whole book, it would be to ask your pastor, yes or no, do you believe in inerrancy? And that way, you know, the kind of church you're attending and what you can expect moving forward. Yes, that's exactly right. Because uh, if the answer is no or depends or, or any of those things, I, I, I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you right now, I'm predicting that at some point in the very near future, there's going to be some kind of compromise or or a previous or earlier compromise is going to come home to roost, mm -hmm. as they say. And you're going to be very, very discouraged by that. So ask the question now much better. Answer the question. So, so step two is answer the question. Does the Christian religion offer a cafeteria plan? There's that phrase again. Much mm -hmm. like step one above, the answer is either yes or no, George. And it is. And I think for people to say it's a work in progress, if somebody's being honest, that's okay. You know, we, we want people to to seek God and seek his word. Mm -hmm. Th that's OK. Um, yeah. So I think not only ask others, we have to ask ourselves the question and we really have to come up with an answer because left unanswered. That has implications and that, that doesn't end well. We do have to be willing to answer that question. That's that's exactly right. And. So step three, of course, is is educate, educate yourself, shore up your belief systems on both the Old and New Testament. Oh, my goodness. The, the folks don't neglect the Old Testament. But, George, I'll, I'll let you comment on that. But that that is a, a. I can't tell you the number of pastors I've heard in the last 10 years say, well, I really don't teach through the Old Testament. I just concentrate on the new and I oh. <laughs> It's 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 discouraging when I hear that, but try to encourage them. Well, I think you just need to take a, a, a new look at the Old Testament. And, and I think Jesus himself loved the Old Testament. The oh, New boy. Testament is even written, you know, in Matthew, for instance, I think 61 times. Mm -hmm. So it was important to them. It should be important to us. I'm sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> the question Educate was, yourself. How important is it for us to shore up our, our understanding of the subject of inerrancy as it relates to both testaments? That, that, that's, I would say a couple of things. The, the verse in First Peter that says, always be prepared to make a defense. We're, we're being instructed, know what the word is so you can make a defense. You have been so involved yourself in apologetics. I mean, that that is your your heartbeat and so much of your ministry. And I do think there's a tremendous place for us to be prepared. However, in Ephesians, Paul says, knowing that the days are evil. He doesn't just yes. say be prepared to make a defense. He says, make the most of every opportunity. So I think if people shore up their belief system, not just to defend, going to the very first thing you said about planting your flag, we got to start taking back territory that we've ceded. And the way to do that is planting that flag, not only being able to defend, but going on the advance with truth, making opportunities happen because all we have to do is look around. The days are evil. Yes. Yes. Amen. And folks, I, I I just remind you that the scripture tells us that we are to study, to show ourselves approved, workmen that need not be ashamed. And that is an individual challenge. Yes, Paul wrote it to Timothy. We've got to get past this place where we think, well, that's the pastor's job to study the scriptures and just tell me what they mean. No, 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 no. It is, it is, it is your honor and your privilege. And your responsibility to know what the word says for yourself. Otherwise, 
you're going to be easily deceived. If, if, if you're just going to be spoon fed by your pastor, and you use no discernment for yourself and you're going to believe all kinds of things that are not biblical. And in fact, that has happened in our own day, sadly, mm-hmm. say that with, with sadness. So this fourth point that in, in chapter nine, you're kind of summing things up, George, you, 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 Encourage Christians, ask the question, answer the question, educate. Now, pick a side. Time is is running out when we're all going to have to choose a side. Do we believe that, that we can just pick and choose the things that we want to believe about the scriptures? Or are we going to stand on the inerrant word of God? It says what it says, and we're going to live our lives accordingly. Pick a side. Pick a side. People... What's the word I'm looking for? I think this day and age, people appreciate when a person takes a stand out of strong conviction, even though they may disagree with it. For instance, when does Chick-fil-A close? What day of the week is Chick-fil-A not open? Everybody knows that well. I can't tell you. At one time, they talked about opening up on Sunday, I think at some of the, the sports venues, and it was really cool to see online even non-believers saying, no, Chick-fil-A, stick to your convictions. Amen. Stand on principle. And I thought, how cool is that? Yeah. So pick a side and yeah. stay with your team. Don't say, well, the other team's winning. Listen, I'm down here in SEC country. we got Auburn, Alabama. And, I mean, <laughs> you got to pick one or the other. It's fighting words if, if you don't. Uh, so anyway, yep, yep. I it, so just a little side note, anecdote. Um, one of our daughters lived down there for six years, uh, George, in uh, Eufaula. So you know where Eufaula is at, sure. Uh, and of course, that's you know, that's that's right in the heart of you know, Auburn roll tie, go tie, you know, the whole whole thing. And here she is an Ohio State graduate. So she's just <laughs> laughing. She's having a great time watching this rivalry go back and go back and forth. Um, yeah, it was good. And we'd go down and visit and I'd I'd get a big kick out of that too. But anyway, um the fifth point, uh champion the cause. Now I'd like you included a uh, uh quote by uh Bob Wilkin, and I, I believe this is the same Bob Wilkin that that is the uh, president of Grace Evangelical Society. Is that the same? I'm not sure. Okay. I, I, I think it probably is. I don't know any other Bob, Pastor Bob Wilkins besides, besides him, but you have this quote in there and then an illustration to help people. And if it's okay, I'd like to share this and then ask for your comments. Cause I thought this is really good and, and really focuses people on uh, in on what you're trying to say. So, so Pastor Wilkins says, the Bible is God's word and is absolutely true in every detail. God never errs and neither does his word. God's word is 100% true from Genesis to Revelation. Men's ability to find fault with God and his word is about to run out. Amen. So here's the illustration that you used, George. I really thought it was good. Um, according to Pastor Stephen Cole, the one who rejects God's testimony to his son through unbelief makes God out as a liar which is a serious matter. Nobody wants to be called a liar, especially in the context of trying to help someone. So here's the illustration. If I offered a poor person a check for $100 and he grabbed me by the lapel and said, prove to me that this check is good, I'd have good reason to take my check back and lead him to his misery. If he ripped my check in two and threw it back at me, he would not experience the blessing I offered him. If a critic angrily says, prove to me that Jesus is the son of God and I'll believe, he is doing far worse than tearing up my check. He is calling the only true God a liar. He is trampling on the gift of God's son. Who would forgive all his sins if he would receive him? God has given more than sufficient testimony to his son. If you receive that external testimony, God will give you the additional inner testimony that he is true. If you reject his external testimony, you will also lack the internal witness. Amen. The offer is there. Champion the cause. Stand on what God has told us as true. He is not a liar. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And, and you know, um, I've, I've been 
actually just to let you in a little bit on my world, I've, I've been weepy for the last two days. We just got back from a men's trip to Honduras. And when we hear about sex trafficking out there, but when you um, see as, yes. as close as close can be oh, uh, yes, with a little girl that uh, we were able to interact with some, um, part of that quote says, you know, that, that the enemy, maybe it's not that quote, but um, that the time's coming where people need to, to pick a side. And I think the enemy's run, he's had a long run of causing confusion and hurt and pain. And I think now is a time for believers to champion causes of truth. Yes. And to be willing to say that something is right and something's wrong. What we witnessed in Honduras is as wrong as wrong can be. Yes. And start saying we've had enough. No more. Yes. We've had enough. We're not going to cede more territory. We're going to start taking back from the enemy and we're not going to do so with half of our faith or a portion of our faith. All of our faith, all of God's word, all of the Holy Spirit, all of the power of Jesus. We're going to start taking things back uh, yes. because it rightfully belongs to the king. And we've just let the kingdom uh, slip under our watch. And, and we've got some work to do. Yes, sir. We sure do, brother. We sure do. So let's let's wrap this up. We've got just a couple of minutes, George. Um, can you give us, give our viewers a quick, uh, concise definition of inerrancy? Sure. Why it's important. Okay. And then finally, we'll wrap up with this question. What do you want readers to take away from the book? And I can answer all of those in a story. I was at a um, home building store in Birmingham and a lady came up to me. She said, George, we've been going to a church and they're teaching and saying things that are clearly against scripture. I was raised there. I, I was married there. Our kids were confirmed and so forth. And she said, but I'm so confused. I'm so confused. She said, my son is on staff of a campus ministry. He called me up and he had this word. And she said, George, I don't know if you've ever heard this word, but it made sense of everything. She said, the word is inerrancy. And, <laughs> and I said, and she said, have you ever heard of it? And I said, that's my next book. <laughs> because it was like for the first time she was able to understand all the downstream issues of the crazy teachings that are out there come from one upstream source. And that upstream source is people who deny the inerrancy of God's word. No wonder the outflow is such that it is. So if there's one thing I wanted people to do is to, to shore up what is inerrancy. Do I really subscribe to it? Do I believe it? Can I defend it? But the one thing I would say, if people could just ask their pastor the question, I think that can be an excellent place to start. Yes or no? Do you believe in inerrancy? Yes. Amen. Amen. Friends, I've been talking with author, pastor, and friend George Shamblin. The book is inerrancy. You better learn this word. Uh, one more thing, because I, I just sense that maybe there are some out there that have joined us and you didn't get your question on this subject answered. Here's a feature that I don't find in very many books, but it's a great feature. Georgia ends the book, and I'm going to hold it up here and see. Mm -hmm. You see that? Frequently asked questions. I'm sure there's something that someone has that we didn't touch on. Well, there's about 20, 20 or so frequently asked questions and answers. So get the book, Inerrancy. You won't be sorry that you did. And George, these are available on your website, georgeshamblin.com. That's correct. georgeshamblin.com, folks. Get the book. You're, and hey, there, thank you, producer. The relay is a good one too. You'll really like that one as well. So I, I recommended that last time we chatted. But folks, that's all we've got time for today. George, thank you again so much, brother. My pastor brother, great time. You're very kind to have me on. Thank you Amen. so much. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. That's all we've got for you today. Please share this program with your friends and on your social media platforms and direct people to wcntv.net 
where they can listen to this show and, and every episode that it's in the archives. We'll see you again next time here on WCN-TV. God bless. Thank you.